Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm looking forward to this week. This week's going to be fabulous. Love it. I love it. I love Thanksgiving. I like Thanksgiving probably more than anything except maybe Easter. And in our family, we love it. We gather people together. We hang out together. My brother and sister-in-law went up to Utah to pick up my nephew, and uh, it, we're, we're going to be together. And I like that. For some families like mine, it means hosting and shopping and cooking and cleaning and getting the yards done and all of that stuff. Barb does the shopping and and the people come in to help with the cleaning. They even brushed out the dog yesterday. I mean, we are talking first class stuff. Me, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to do the yards. And I like that. I like it to look just so, so that when the guests come in, they look and say, they care. They, they, they're doing their best. They're not just opening the door and saying, come on in, but we're saying, we're prepared. We, we welcome you into our home, and we hope we have a great, great day. Right now, Barb and I are still young enough to be able to host, but there's going to be that day where my son or my daughter will tap me on the shoulder and say, me and Sarah got this. We'll, we'll handle this. You want us to bring the turkey? No, we got it. You want us to bring a ham? No, we got it. And you know what they're going to want us to bring? Is they're going to want us to bring the pink marshmallow whipped cream salad. It's of absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. Whipped cream with marshmallows, crushed pineapple. Of course, the pineapple's drained, so it's not gross. And then Barb just whips it up with a little bit of green powdered jello stuff in it. And it's just to die for. Everybody wants to take it home. And I'll be there with the wooden spoon Thursday afternoon beating them out of the kitchen, giving them a little tablespoon of it. But the big monster bowl, that stays with us. It's one of our little traditions. One of the things that makes it uniquely Hours, and I'm sure your families have the same kind of pieces of life that pull it together. Sometimes we host, and one day we'll be hosted. And our grandchildren will tell stories about playing with Papa and Grams. And we'll be reminded that in God's economy of time, that things continue to go on day by day and bit by bit. So whether you're being hosted or whether you're hosting, whether you're serving or being served, it's going to be a great week. And this morning we start with anticipation and honestly for many of us, the, the anticipation of this week carries through into Christmas and Christmas Eve and into the celebration of the new year, 2024, which seems insane to me. But this morning, the beautiful music that Uh, We were led by with Krista and Haley and Carissa, this beautiful place, the beautiful little baby being baptized this morning. We get to think about gratitude, the many, many blessings that we have from the Lord God. And this morning we frame our thoughts and and maybe frame our hearts around Matthew chapter 6, which Alex read is the gospel reading for today, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we get to think about where our hearts are even as we're sitting here and the trajectory not just of the week 
but maybe of the year that was in the year that is on the way. If you'd like to open your bulletin, Matthew chapter 6 is right there, and I'm going to pull some parts out of that that'll help you think and, and hopefully move you into a, a place where you could say, you know what, this week is going to be fabulous. So Jesus begins to speak. Sermon on the Mount around the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful natural amphitheater that the people are able to look out and, and then all of a sudden Jesus is talking. Matthew 5, 1 through 12, he sets the values of the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, blessed are, blessed are. And then he says, blessed are you. And then he kind of makes a checklist of fasting and prayer and getting along and family and all of those things. And then he gets to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and he says, therefore, therefore. And whenever there's a therefore, the hair on the back of your neck should stand up because there's the money verse. Therefore, do not worry. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Okay, easier said than done. You're Jesus. You can turn rocks into bread. You can turn water into wine. You can probably make a perfect turkey that's not even dry in any way, shape, or form. You're the Son of God. But me, I got some concerns. I got some worries. One of the things I worry about is language. Does that sound weird? I worry that we overuse words to a point where words mean nothing anymore. Some of those words are like, cool. Man, that's cool. And we use that as kind of a filler. That not, doesn't really mean anything anymore. It's just, hey, that's cool. It means I'm trying to figure out the next thing I'm going to say. That's fair. I get that. Awesome. Dude, that was so awesome. The way he kicked the field goal at the end of the game, that was so awesome. What was it awesome like a God-painted sunset in the southwest sky on Thursday night? No, no, dude, it was awesome. Awesome doesn't mean awesome anymore. I think awesome means cool, if you know what I mean. So the word I like to use for stress, which has been overused, is anxiety. I struggle when words mean nothing, and to me, we've spoken so much about stress over the last 20 years in America that it's kind of, we, we get stressed about little things like the turkey not being ready at 2 o'clock, and we stress about things as serious as death. Anxiety is a good word. Jesus uses a word for worry or a word that can be translated as anxious, anxiety. Seems to me there's plenty of anxiety in our culture. People are anxious every time a politician stands up to speak, every time economic news comes out, every time something goes on that we're not in control of. There's this little tap on the shoulder of anxiety that says, you know, this is bad, but it's going to get worse. That's what anxiety says to the soul. There's a little voice in our mind that seems to say it over and over again. It's just going to get worse. It's, it, 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 it's not getting any better. You've got to deal with this. You've got to handle this. It's just going to blow up. Anxiety is irrational. Anxiety is antithetical to faith. But anxiety is part of what's woven into our sinful, broken human nature. And in almost every case, when anxiety takes over, 
a person's life and is pervasive in their thinking, the person suffers with such deep, dark doubts that it even can be physically debilitating. Anxiety. It's only going to get worse. And then the anxious mind only sees the cataclysmic end. If this keeps going on like this, you know what? I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired. My family's going to leave me. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be destitute. I'm going to die penniless on a bench in Santa Ana. That's anxiety. It's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And then before it gets worse, you're going to have this horrible cataclysmic thing that's going to be just off. And anxiety gets our mind so wrapped up that we can't see anything else but our lives crashing around us. Jesus says to us this morning, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Tell anxiety to be quiet and go away. Tell anxiety that you belong to God, that I believe that God has made me in all things, And that he provides for me everything I need for body, soul, and spirit. And when you gather with your family on Thanksgiving, don't gather in anxiety. Gather in the antithesis of anxiety. Gather in gratitude. For life is not crashing in around us. God continues to provide for us day by day by day. I don't know how Jesus thought about this in Matthew chapter 6. Clearly, he's the son of God and and knows everything. But the way he answers those questions, the way he says, don't worry, and then he lays it out, not with five statements, but with five questions. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. And then he tells us why. First, he does that in this question. Are you not much more valuable than birds? I don't like birds. Birds ate the fish out of my pond in my backyard. I'm not big on birds. Although I will say that traveling to the Midwest and seeing eagles nesting in trees was something majestic that I might make an exception for an eagle. But egrets, great blue herons and those things, not so much. Yesterday I was walking from the parking lot over on our Chapman building where our business office is, walking in the alley on my way to my office, and I heard the screeching of birds, the parrots of orange. And the first thing I thought was, well, maybe with a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge I could handle those things. They're driving me nuts. Birds. Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than birds? You not much more valuable than those stupid parrots? Are you not much more valuable than the blue heron that ate all my fish? Or the egret that stalks my front yard waiting for me to take the net off of my pond? And the answer of that is yes. Yes. You are more valuable than every bird that's ever flown, every emu, every ostrich, every kiwi that's run through the ground. You are so valuable to God. More valuable than anything else the Lord God created. For of all the things he made, he only created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God loves you. And he sees so much value in you that when humanity fell into sin, he sent not a a bird or a carrier pigeon 
He sent his son to redeem us. Are we not much more valuable than birds? We are much more valuable than birds. So valuable that God would send his son to redeem us from sin and death. And then Jesus asks another question. Just He says, well, what of you by worrying can add another hour to your life? It seems so silly, right? Well, I'm really uptight. Well, what's going to come of it? Stomach acid, ulcers. You going to add another hour to your life? No. If anything, by worrying, we waste the moment and squander the future. Worry is empty. Worry is faithless. Worry is dark. So let it go. Speak back into the whisper of worry with the voice of Jesus. I am with you always, Jesus said. And the din of worry is overcome by the force of the voice of Jesus. Therefore, do not worry. It's a fool's errand to be uptight about everything. You can't add a single hour to your life. And then Jesus says, why worry about clothes? We're all here. We're all dressed. No one came to church naked today, although if you're under two years old, you can come in your diaper. That's just fine. Most of us, as we put on our clothes this morning, had to choose from many shirts and many pairs of pants and even many, many shoes. So Jesus says, why do you worry about clothes? My father used to say, you have socks and underwear. You're going to be okay. I remember growing up as a little boy in Flagstaff, I had three pairs of pants. And we just rotated those throughout. We had what we needed. And when I grew out of my pair of pants, I remember a, a, a young man who lived in the HUD housing projects who came to school with a pair of pants that my mom had given to the goodwill. Why do you worry about clothes? If you have socks and underwear, a jacket, and then, for, and then the fourth question, will he not much more clothe you? Of course, of course. Yes, he will take care of all of our needs, food and clothing, house and home. We'll confess that in a few moments as we confess our faith in the in the Lord Jesus, in the Nicene Creed. I believe that God has made me in all things. I believe that God is generous and not cheap. I believe that God's hand is opened and not clenched. I believe that God does not have a string on the stuff that he gives us and says, oh, here it is. No, it's not. Here it is. No, it's not. Uh-uh. He will close us. God is not cheap. God's economy is not failing. God lavishes on us all an abundance he has provided in the past. He provides this morning. And as we look into a new year, He provides for 2024 and beyond. Will He not much more clothe you? Of course He will. And for some of us gentlemen, maybe we even get a Tommy Bahama shirt or a rain spooner. But that's luxury, not necessity. What a blessing it is to have a God who gives us so much. And then the last piece, Jesus asks his people, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He's telling his people to just chill out, relax a little bit. Saying, Your lives are in my hands 
and it's okay. Food and clothing, something to drink, you've got it. Because your lives are in my hands, Jesus said that day. Those are the hands that provide for us. Those are the hands that look up for us, that look out for us, that remind us that we are blessed people. He provides us with lots to eat, lots to drink, lots to wear, and even more pieces of life for so much. He says, seek first his kingdom and all the other stuff will be added to as well. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's in the Lord's hand. He who loves you enough to give his life for you will certainly provide what you need for this life and life beyond. This last Friday, Vicar Mike and myself handled the funeral of Rita Kennedy. Rita sat right here where Candace sits and Rita was a, a, a hub of people. When she retired, and I didn't realize, when she retired, Rita said, uh, I need to make more friends. So she made it her business from like 57 to 96 when she passed away to make more friends. I saw this little stack of bulletins on Jennifer's desk, and they said, uh, I said, that's all? They go, well, they said, print 75, you need at least 100, at least. And we ran out of bulletins like that over at Saddleback Mortuary. Rita... Rita loved people, not for what she could use them for, but because of the value she could add to their hearts and they to hers. Vicar Mike is an astute Greek scholar these days, and he called me up short a little bit on my translation of Matthew chapter 6, verse 35, and I thought, well, Vicar, I would have never even done that as an associate pastor to Pastor Ash, but yeah, okay, whatever, I'm good. He said, you used the old translation of that scripture, didn't you? And I go, yeah, I like it better. I can remember it better. It, it makes sense to me. I don't like, so don't worry no more. I like the old school way. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Jesus is saying, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't be getting all uptight about the future and all of this stuff. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Can you say that with me? Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Jesus is telling his hearers that day, and I'm telling you this morning two things. First, live for today enjoy today. Smile today. Bring people around you today. Cast off the vanity of anxiety that says, well, it all revolves around me and put a grateful focus on God's generosity in your life. Don't live and get yourself wrapped up in tomorrow. Don't get wrapped up in creating an inventory for comparison. Rather, look around this Thursday, this morning, with a smile and a deep and resonant sense of God's goodness to you. Look at the people in your gathering to whom you are connected with love and DNA. Look at the sense of God's goodness to you as grandchildren come and jump on your lap. Receive the food, the drink, the laughter, the faith. Receive Jesus. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the gift that comes today.
sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. And that last little piece, use today to invest for tomorrow, make investments in relationships today that will make a difference in their lives and yours tomorrow. Offer kindness and grace in your settings this week. Older people take initiative to connect with younger people. And I don't mean just hold your grandchildren. I mean talk to your nieces and nephews, your children and their spouses. For me, I like to listen. I I like the din. Honestly, I get in trouble with this. People have quit the church over this. People have criticized me for this. But I like the noise that happens before worship in here. I like to listen to you talk. Because I know that conversation is filled with salt and light, with goodness and grace. I know that when you talk, you encourage one another. And you lay your hearts out there to be encouraged and loved. I love that noise. And I love that noise as we laugh and have fun and mess around in our house on Thursday. We'll be listening to some trash talk. The laughter, the wisdom, the crying. I like to listen and I like to hear the din of conversation. Because I'm reminded that in that conversation, we invest in the moment for tomorrow. And we're able to bring seeds of grace and love to family members we maybe haven't seen for a long, long time. It seems to me that in every conversation, we are investing today in this moment in younger people's hearts for the future with joy and encouragement, which of course dispels anxiety. Sufficient, sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Amen? Amen.